Have you ever heard a story, particularly a gospel story, and it transports you back to a certain point in time? When I was in high school, I was involved in a girls' service organization, and I represented this club at a regional event. And I rode to this event with some of the older adult sponsors. I thought it was great to get to miss school for two days and be treated to a nice meal at the Pirate's House in Savannah. The next day, as we were getting close to home, we were just a few miles from the house when the driver of the car pulled into a lane of oncoming traffic as she tried to cross Atlantic Boulevard in Jacksonville. Fortunately, the approaching car had enough time to slow down, but we were hit pretty hard and spun around. The car was significantly damaged, but thank goodness the three of us were okay. Shaken up, bruised, scared, but okay. One of the women was a nervous Nellie, and the other was this silent, maybe still in a little bit of shock, Stella. And I was in the back seat, safe and sound, and I remember trying to stay calm and strong in the face of my disorientation and fear. The police arrived, as did a fire truck and an ambulance, and lots of people seemed to appear, and I felt utterly lost. The year was 1978 way before cell phones, so I still have some questions about it. But every time I remember this scene, I get teary-eyed, wondering about how it was that God's grace was at work that day. You see, I remember standing on the side of the road, and I looked up and saw that parked on the edge of the highway, quite a ways away, there was a businessman in a suit. Apparently, he had ditched his blazer, and this man started running towards me jumping over sticks, dodging potholes, and I saw his face was filled with the most amazing look of love. And I began to cry. Yeah, it was my father who was on his way home from work, traveling the road he did every weekday. And now he was running to reach his scared, and in that moment, very lost child. And I was oh so happy to be found. Today, we're going to reflect on another father, another father and his two sons, as we look at the parable of the prodigal son and contemplate, mull over, ponder, letting go of that fear of feeling lost because there is incredible joy in being found. You know the story, probably. It's the parable that Jesus told to those legal experts who were upset because the wrong kinds of people, sinners and outcasts, were associating and eating with Jesus. In truth, this parable has been dissected and its meaning disagreed upon for over 2,000 years. Why? I think because some people cannot imagine that God would act the way the Father acted in the story. And because the story is so, I don't know, it's so unprincipled, it just doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense if our view of God is overly concerned with the notion of rewards and punishments, right versus wrong. It makes no sense if our view of God is is really small and very strict. If you think about God in those terms, you might proclaim that the son's return really has nothing to do with loving and missing his family. He's not sorry. He's desperate. 
And the father, the father forgives the son even before he apologizes and admits all the wrong things he's done. What is up with that, right? Where's the punishment? Where's the reprimand that that boy deserves? And the older brother, frankly, he's made out to be this spoiled, ungrateful son when in fact it is his younger brother who has returned home to mooch off of that family of whatever's left of the fortune. Why does that older brother get such a bad rap? So today, today I want to ask you, what do you think Jesus is trying to teach us and those who were listening in that day? That God is a God of rewards and punishments? Or is there something more? I think Jesus is making a profound statement about the nature of God, the Father, the human condition, and what God does about it. You see, in this parable, the young son gets a lot of attention, but really the main character is the father. With his reckless and extravagant behavior, he is the real prodigal. Okay, so you know the three characters. The younger son is ready to get out of Dodge, so to speak, and is audacious enough to ask for his inheritance early. That is scandalous, and it's a huge insult to his father and the whole family. Very disrespectful, but the boy is only thinking of himself. Determined to experience life with all of its gusto, even if he damages relationships along the way. And the father, oh, this is oh so hard for a parent, but I think he was wise enough, big enough really, not to humiliate his son simply by pulling rank. It's the way God acts, allowing us to make our own choices, even when it goes against our own best interests sometimes. I wonder if the boy even looked back and waved at his dad as he headed off down the road with his inheritance. But I imagine the father was watching as his son disappeared. And I bet from that moment on, many prayers for the boy's welfare have been on his lips and in his heart. Now, all of a sudden, the scene changes. It's like we are transported to first century Las Vegas, some lavish apartment in the far country where the younger son lives the high life. He has new friends now, but when his money runs out, those friends are nowhere to be found. And eventually, he loses it all and himself in the process. I mean, who cares about him now? Do those new friends? No only the father whom he walked away from long ago. So the young man is distressed and starving and feeling so very lost. And in desperation, he takes a job feeding hogs. But here, here's the beginning of a breakthrough. If not full repentance, at least there's a moral breakthrough. Jesus says in verse 17, he came to himself. You see, he wasn't himself when he was living the high life, trying to impress everyone. He wasn't himself when his stomach was growling with hunger or he was shivering in the slop with those swine. A pastor friend of mine, Tom Price, added it this, but he was himself when he remembered to whom he belonged and began that journey home. Yes, a lost boy at the end of his rope remembered the face of the one who loved him and wanted more than anything to go home. So he starts this mental gymnastics. I will arise and go to my father. 
and he works on his speech because he wants it to sound convincing and he has no idea what's to come. He has shamed his family. So what should he expect? Have you ever had to ask forgiveness from someone you have taken advantage of, exploited or hurt so deeply? Those are the hardest apologies to make, don't you think? I mean, the words, I am so sorry, get stuck in our throats as the heat surges to our cheeks. But for our young prodigal, maybe the most persuasive sign of his genuineness of his request is the real beginning of his repentance is as he's walking up the road with both homesickness and remorse churning in his stomach. He knew what he had to say. It was the only honorable thing he could say. I have been so lost. I messed up. I don't deserve anything. Father, I have sinned against you and heaven, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. I think when we are ready and willing to say that, we find that home. It's not far away. But wait, this young man never has to say those groveling words. That's the miracle of this story. Before the boy even has a chance to speak, perhaps he's still blotting the tears that are blurring his vision. The father already knew his heart because morning and evening he had been on the lookout, scanning the horizon, waiting, hoping. Have you ever had to wait for someone like that? Is there someone waiting for you like that? Is it time to turn the corner and come home? So there in the distance, the father sees the unmistakable image of his son, and he does something that is so uncharacteristic, so undignified, but the father doesn't care. He's so overjoyed that he begins to run. The son can't even speak before the father is welcoming him in a warm embrace and then directs the servants to bring a robe and a ring and put sandals on his feet, signifying that he's inviting him back home, not as a servant, but as a family member, as his child. They kill the fatted calf and they begin to celebrate for the father says, this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Wow, talk about an unexpected pardon. And that is probably when the younger son's life really changed. His repentance took hold when he received this unmerited grace from his father. Now let's quickly check in on the elder brother. He's hardworking and responsible. Perhaps he has that rewards and punishment view of the world, at least that view of the way the father should treat his brother. You see, he's been working in the fields all day and he comes home to the sound of music and a party. And when he is told what's going on, he's hurt deeply. He feels unappreciated. He cannot make himself go into the celebration. And so for the second time, the father goes to find a lost child because in his own way, the older brother is lost too wasting his own freedom, living a resentful life of duty, full of pride and self-righteousness. But to the son's pain, the dad says, son, you're always with me and all that is mine is yours. We have to celebrate because your brother was dead and is alive, was lost and is found. This is a profound statement about God as one who searches for the lost and then runs down the road like my father did to me to welcome them home, leaves the party to reach out to those who are in their own kind of exile. 
Barbara Brown Taylor points out that the father has nothing but words of love for either of the sons. He refuses to choose between them. All of his energy is focused on getting them back together. Two brothers who have lost their way. Two brothers with ruptured relationships who need to be found and come home. You know, God never makes us come home. We can choose to stay in our pig pens as long as we like, but God is always waiting patiently and ready to greet us and welcome us again. Friends, could this story serve to help you recognize your own lostness and begin to turn towards home? Can it help you remember that this journey of faith is not all about rewards and punishments? It's about love. All that is mine is yours. Can it remind you of the expansive and inclusive nature of God who runs to greet us with love and grace? I don't know about you, but I'd like to imagine that the older brother was touched by the words of his father, maybe wooed by some of that festive music, but decides to go into the party and after a bit makes eye contact with his brother and with the loving presence of their father nearby, they reconcile. But Jesus didn't finish the story. The elder brother is still outside when the parable ends. And maybe it's because he wants you and me to finish the story in our own lives, to allow ourselves to be found and forgiven, loved, and to walk into the party ourselves and take a seat knowing we are God's beloved child. Will you pray with me? Oh, loving God, we thank you for this beautiful image of your very self, tender, welcoming, waiting, one who comes to greet us wherever we are and welcome us back home. Help us not run from you, but run towards you. Help us to realize that that embrace that you gave your son in this story is the same one you want to give to all of us. May it be so. Amen. Amen.